Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Really, really good to be with you this morning, and I'm looking forward to this. So why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to the Gospel of John in the New Testament. Find your place there in John chapter 3. Uh, we're going to start there. As Jeremy mentioned earlier, we're walking through a summer series called The Story, and we'll say a little bit about that in just a minute. But hold your Bibles. Uh, we're going to start in John 3, then we're going to go over to Numbers 21 in the Old Testament and then come back to John chapter 3, so keep your Bibles handy. If you don't own a Bible and you need a Bible, there's one there in the seat pocket in front of you. That's our gift to you, so you take that as our gift. Take that home with you. Use it. Read God's Word, and uh, if you need a Bible this morning. Uh, there's a reality about every single person in this room this morning, and here's the reality. Uh, no matter your background, no matter your age, no matter your uh, ethnicity, there'll be a time in every single person's life where you wrestle with some of the fundamental questions of life. So for example, every single person at some point in one way or another is going to wrestle with the question, where did I come from? Why am I here? What is the meaning of all of this? Every person's going to wrestle with that question at one time or another. Every person's going to wrestle with this question. Why is the world the way it is? Every person is going to look around at the world and know deep in our heart in some way it's just not the way it ought to be. Why is the world as it is? Every person will wrestle with that question at one time or another. Every person will wrestle with the question, is there any hope? Is there any hope? It's obvious things are not as they intend to be. Even in our own hearts, if we're real honest, we know there's something wrong deep within us. Is there any hope? And what's the answer? Every person's going to wrestle with that question in one way or another. And ultimately, every person in one way or another is going to wrestle with the question, what, what's the future? How's it all going to turn out? How's this, how's this story end? And you've wrestled with those questions. Maybe you're wrestling with those questions in one way or another this morning. And as we as a church family walk through this summer series that we've entitled The Story, one thing you'll realize as we walk through the story, we realize the Bible is made up of a bunch of stories, but the Bible's ultimately one story of God's redemptive plan from beginning to end. But you also realize that the only place on earth that human beings can find the fundamental answers to these life's questions is in the Bible. God's holy word. God answers these questions. And we've seen that as we've been walking through the story together. We, we started a few weeks ago and Pastor Daniel began leading us through. And we started with these, these movements of the gospel through history and through the Bible. There's creation. There's the fall. Today we're going to look at there's redemption. And then ultimately there's the new creation. And we've looked at that. It's, it's the answer to the question, why am I here? Why does all of this exist? And we looked at that and we saw from creation that God made the world good. And God is the author and He's the subject of all of creation. And every good thing is from God. God's given us life, which is a good gift. God's given us family, which is a good gift. God's given us work, which is a good gift. I didn't get any amens on that one. God gave us work, which is a good gift from God. 
We see that God created all things. He created us in His image. We are here in the fundamental question of life of why am I here? What's my purpose? I was created by a sovereign personal God for His glory. And created in His image. And then we moved on to the fall. Pastor Paul led us in that a couple weeks ago. And we realized that God's good creation has been wrecked because of sin. The world groans and the world is what it is because of sin. I didn't say it is what it is, by the way. You know I don't like that statement. But anyway, the world is made up of what it is because of our sin. The world groans. We see that sin was a rejection of God, of doubting His goodness, of believing that He's not enough, and rejecting His reign. We see that God, or, or that sin wrecks God's good creation. We understand, because the Bible teaches us in Genesis 3 and, be, 3 and beyond, that sin has entered creation and wrecked creation as God intends it. We know why there's pain, and we know why there's suffering, and we know why there's disease, because sin has entered the world. The understanding of sin answers some of life's hard questions like, why in the world are there cats? It's easy. Sin, the fall. Yeah. You do understand a cat is nothing but a demon with fur, right? You understand that. And I don't want an email of your cat Fluffy and how cute Fluffy is this week, please. It's a demon with fur. It hates you and only takes from you. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Creation. God made everything good. Sin has entered the world and has wrecked God's creation. And we see the consequences and the cosmic results of that every single day. Today we begin the next movement of the gospel story through the Bible. And that's this story of redemption. Is there hope? And the Bible clearly holds out that there's hope. We're going to look at that this morning, that Jesus has broken the power of sin. And then the next few weeks, we'll get on to the new creation when we see God as a plan to make all things new. And the Bible is made up of a series of stories, but your Bible is ultimately one story from beginning to end of a God who is redeeming mankind unto himself for his glory. And we're looking at that story together. And I just want you to know, as we walk through this series, it's so encouraging so challenging for us. What you have in this story series as we walk through this together this summer, and I, I hope you're taking advantage of the reading plan and the different resources that are available for you online, but as you walk through this story series, this is a tool to help us understand the Bible and to help us understand all of history. This is God's story of all of history, creation, fall, redemption. There's a new creation coming. It's also a tool to help you share the gospel with those who do not know Jesus Christ. Help me understand the Bible. I don't understand why you believe what you believe. Listen, there was creation. Take them to Scripture. There was the fall. That's why we need a Savior. There's a Savior in Christ, and there's a new creation coming. It's a tool for you to share the gospel. 
But also, let me just remind you, it's an incredible opportunity for us as families to disciple our children and to, and to, to practice what we say if we believe discipleship starts at home. All this that we're walking through this summer is aligned with our family discipleship plan. And if you have kids of different ages and you've used the family discipleship plan, you know, the advantage to this summer is there's one big truth each week that we can take this big truth, and we're going to look at a big truth this morning. Take that big truth and teach that in your home and use the opportunities that happen throughout the day. There's great resources there for you parents and caregivers to take these truths and have these conversations at home around what we're learning together about the story. You say, well, you know, I know we've been talking about that. I've just never, I've never started. Uh, today is a great opportunity to start. We start a new movement. It's called Redemption. Today's Bible verse is John 3.16. You all know that one. It's a great opportunity to start at home. And let me just encourage you with something, parents. Just parent to parent here for a minute. We're all doing this together. We're all walking through this together. The resources are there. Best opportunity you'll ever have. Give it a try. Just give it a try. Just take the message this morning, take some notes, look online at the resources there, and just begin some conversations at home around the truth that we'll talk about this morning. So the story series, this morning, as I said, we've talked about creation, we've talked about the fall. This morning, we're going to introduce this, this third movement, that of redemption, that Jesus has broken the power of sin. Now, each Sunday we have a big truth. Let me go ahead and give you the big truth this morning. We're going to introduce that, and we're going to walk through John chapter 3 together. The big truth is this this morning, that God the Father is the Redeemer. That God the Father is the Redeemer and has a plan of redemption that is being carried out throughout all of history. One thing you'll see over the next three weeks is that each member of the Trinity has a significant part of redemption. The Father's plan. The Son carries it out on the cross. The Spirit activates it and secures it in our lives. And we'll talk about all that over the next few weeks. But this morning, here's your big truth. The Father is the Redeemer. Now, we're going to try to press that out a little bit this morning in our lives by, we're, we're going to peer into a conversation that took place in John chapter 3 between Jesus himself and a man named Nicodemus. Now go ahead and look at John chapter 3. I'll just give you a quick second of background and then we're going to dive into verse 1 and eventually get to verse 14 through 16. But, so there's this conversation going on between a man named Nicodemus and Jesus himself and we have the record of it here in scripture. Now Nicodemus was a Jew he was a descendant of Abraham. He was of the children of Israel. Nicodemus was a leader of the Jew. He was of the group called Pharisees. He was a ruler in Israel. You're going to see that phrase. And this man comes to Jesus, and there's this conversation going on, and we get to peer into this conversation. So just follow along with me. We're going to kind of jump around a little bit and then land in verse 14 in just a minute. So verse 1 says this. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees. And again, that's the leading, if you will, religious sect of that day. The, the Pharisees were the set-apart ones. They were the ones that everyone looked to to be the religious elite, the religious example. Problem is, they had a works-based religion understanding of how to be right with God. And here's Nicodemus, and he comes to Jesus, and he says he was a ruler of the Jews. That's Nicodemus. Verse 2 says, this man came to Jesus by night. That's interesting. 
Most scholars will tell you the reason he came by night is because he didn't really want anybody to know this conversation's going on with Jesus. It's probably not a good thing for your reputation as a Pharisee who opposes the teachings of Jesus to be having these clandestine meetings with Jesus. So he goes at night so nobody will know. So he's meeting with Jesus and he says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus is, is pretty astute. He's been observing the life of Jesus, and he realizes there's something not quite, the same, not quite ordinary about this guy Jesus. So he comes at night, he says, I see all that you're doing, and all these signs, and you're raising the dead, and you're giving sight to the blind. I, what's all this about, Jesus? And in a way that only Jesus can do, Jesus cuts to the quick and cuts to the heart of his conversation in verse 3. And he says to Nicodemus, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, or verily, verily, or I'm going to speak truth to you here, Nicodemus. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. By the way, one of the clearest, most important truths in all of Scripture for every person that's ever lived that you won't even see the kingdom of God, Nicodemus, unless something transformational happens in your life. Now, quick background to that. Nicodemus, as a Jew, understands there's something not right with the world. The hope of every Jew was Messiah who was going to come and institute the, the new kingdom, the, the kingdom of God, and those that were going to be part of that kingdom, every Jew believed. Here's who gets to be part of that new kingdom. Jews. <laughs> You're born a Jew and you follow the, the teachings of the, the Torah, the Old Testament. You, you, you do everything right, so to speak, and you, you get in through your birth as a Jew, and, and if you will, Nicodemus felt like he was totally secure, and Nicodemus is like, man, I'm not even talking about that, I'm good. What are you saying that for, Jesus? Comes back in verse 4, Nicodemus says to him, let me just paraphrase, I don't even know what you're talking about, Jesus. Born again? I mean, I don't even understand the nature of what you're saying, Jesus. In fact, he says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Obviously, Nicodemus doesn't get it. And here's the thing that's striking, just so far in the story, is Nicodemus doesn't get redemption. Nicodemus doesn't understand the reality that in our fallen, sinful state, we must be transformed from who we are as a broken, rebel sinner against God into a new creation ourselves. We've got to be born again from above. Born again of God. Nicodemus says, what are you talking about, Jesus? Jesus continues on with the conversation and he talks about must be born of the Spirit of God, that the Spirit is the one who gives life. And then Nicodemus, verse 9, says, how can these things be? You know, when I was reading this account this week, and maybe like a lot of you in this room, I, I don't know, I've read John 3 hundreds of times probably growing up in the church. Well, most of you in this room are very familiar with John 3, 16. But here's the reality that struck me from this account with Nicodemus. Watch this. Nicodemus was familiar with his Old Testament Bible and had read his Old Testament Bible probably more than any person in this room has read their Bible. 
In fact, Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, had portions of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, memorized. He knew it. He had been brought up probably in an Orthodox Jewish home that he had been taught his entire life. But Jesus confronts him with this reality. Nicodemus, you may understand the stories of the Bible. Watch this. But you don't understand the story of the Bible of God's redemptive plan. Man, that was convicting. And that was challenging for us knowing our culture of East Tennessee Bible Belt of how easy we come in and we say, yeah, I know all the stories and yeah, I'm good. And here's Nicodemus who by his pedigree could say a whole lot more than we could say. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, you don't even understand redemption. Nicodemus, you got to be born again. Here's the encouraging thing though. Jesus continues to pursue Nicodemus. Because <laughs> how many of us would say we have Brothers and sisters, maybe we have family members, maybe some of us even in this room who would fall into the camp of Nicodemus. We know a lot, we've heard a lot, we've been brought up around it, but we just don't get the understanding of redemption and the gospel story. We don't understand what it even means to be born again. The beauty of this, Jesus doesn't give up on Nicodemus. He keeps pursuing Nicodemus. And he comes back, look at verse 14. Here's what he says. He says, all right, Nicodemus, you, you, you don't quite get it yet. And I'm going to take a story that you're very familiar with, Nicodemus. And he says, verse 14, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Now, you may be reading along, and you come to that, and you go, what in the world is he talking about? Well, he's making reference to an Old Testament story in Numbers 21. We're going to go there in just a minute. So he says, okay, Nicodemus. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so, in other words, there's a picture there, Nicodemus, of that story. So the Son of Man, who's that? Jesus, must be lifted up. That whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Enter the kingdom. Know this life of God. Be born from above. Jesus says, there's stories in your Bible, Nicodemus, that you've read your whole life that you've never been able to connect to understand the story of redemption. And then he goes on and he says, verse 16, For God so loved the world, not just Jews, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But some of you have known John 3.16 your whole life but didn't know the context of what it was going on, this conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus. So Jesus says, okay, Nicodemus, I'm going to try to help you understand the need and the meaning of redemption for you, Nicodemus. For you. So he takes him back to Numbers 21. He's trying to press out this big truth that God the Father is the Redeemer. And there's this picture of redemption throughout the Bible. So take your Bibles, turn over to Numbers chapter 21. So Jesus refers to this story. Trying to help Nicodemus, his eyes to be open to the purpose and the meaning of redemption. It takes him to the Old Testament. Now, Nicodemus was very familiar with the story. Nicodemus probably had this story memorized. So Jesus is going to go here in the Old Testament. He's going to use the story. Now, I think it helps us a little bit to understand that as you're reading through your Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, that the Old Testament is a progressive revelation of God's redemptive plan. What does that mean, Pastor Mike? 
Well, that means as you read the history of God's plan through Israel and all that God did, what you have is a progressively developing picture of God's redemptive plan for the world. Started in Genesis. Remember, we looked at that a few weeks ago. Adam and Eve sinned. God said, where are you? He clothed them. He said, Eve, you're going to have a descendant that's going to crush the serpent's head. That was a picture. A Savior's coming. You come to the Passover in Exodus chapter 3, 4, and throughout 14 and 50, you see this picture of the Passover lamb. That's a picture, a developing picture. Let me give you a quick illustration of this so you understand as you read through the Old Testament. Does anybody in this room know what a Polaroid camera is? Anybody? You do know with a Polaroid camera, you can't send a text from it or you can't even talk. You can't have a conversation on it. It just takes pictures. That's all it does. But a Polaroid camera back in the day is, is you would get ready to take a picture and you'd hold this big old box up and you'd push that button, right? And what would come out would be this square piece of black film and you'd hold that film. And what would you do with that piece of film? Shake it. Does anybody know why you shook it? I, I have no idea, but that's what you do. You'd shake it and then what would you do? You'd blow on it, right? This is what you did. Now watch. As you held that picture right there before your eyes, an image would begin to develop. It would grow from blurry to clear. The Bible paints a picture of God's good creation, the fall, and the clearing up image that God has a plan fully developed when Jesus Christ walks on the scene. So Jesus Christ, the clear picture of God's redemptive plan, stands in front of Nicodemus and says, you don't get it, Nicodemus. I'm going to tell you an example of a picture that points to me back in Numbers 21. A developing picture of God's redemptive plan. Numbers 21. Here we go. So this is the story of the children of Israel. They're walking through the wilderness. They're on their way to the promised land. Verse 4. So the people here are the children of Israel. This event is about 1,400 years earlier than the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. So he says, from Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around to the land of Edom. Children of Israel on the march. And the people became impatient on the way. Imagine that. They began to grumble. They began to grow impatient. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. So the, so the people, because of the... The wickedness of their own heart, they begin to speak against God. And they begin to speak against Moses. And they say, verse 5, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? By the way, you know what they're doing here? They're doubting God's goodness. And they're doubting they're believing the lie that God is not enough. Remember that a few weeks ago of sin? So they're, they're demonstrating their sin nature here. They're doubting God's goodness. They're believing the God, that God's not enough. They're not trusting in God's rule and reign here. They speak against God. They speak against Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and there's no water. And we loathe this worthless food. End of verse 5. By the way, when the children of Israel say they loathe this worthless food, that was the divine food from God that came down out of heaven every morning to feed over a million people. It was God's provision, and they say of God's provision, we loathe this worthless food. It's a pretty serious charge against God. Verse 6, now I just got to tell you, 
Verse 6 is probably one of my least favorite verses in all the Bible. It says, Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. Pastor Mike, are you telling me that God dispatched snakes among the people? Yep, that's exactly what it says. I don't know about you. A snake is my second least favorite animal on the planet. Cats, number one. Snakes, number two. (laughs) Now watch this. You can read this story and you can go, well, that's ridiculous. How unfair of God. The people have just raised their fist against the goodness and provision of God. They have rejected His good provision. And God in His grace is waking them up. And He dispatches these serpents among them. He says the Lord sends fiery serpents among them. The word fiery likely indicates that the bite was a very painful fire-like bite when they were bitten by these snakes. And they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. Point is, you get bit by one of these snakes, this toxin is going to enter your bloodstream. You're under this curse of death. See the picture? Verse 7, the people came to Moses and they said, we have sinned. I mean, nothing like a good snake infestation to bring about revival, right? We've sinned. For we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he would take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole. Or a standard, your Bible may say. In other words, make a serpent, an image of these serpents, and fasten it to a pole and lift it up over the people. See that? So fasten it to a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. Verse 9. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So remember, this is the illustration that Jesus says to Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus, just as the serpent was put on the pole and lifted up, so the Son of Man is going to be lifted up for the redemption of the world. What do we learn about redemption in this progressively revealing story in the Old Testament that Jesus wants Nicodemus and wants you to understand this morning? I'm going to give you three quick big ideas that flow out of this big truth. God the Father is the Redeemer, okay? Give us some big ideas that flow out of that. Number one, we see from this story that the Father loves His enemies. We talk about redemption. Redemption is a gift from the Father because the Father loves His enemies. Look at verse 5 again. The, The story of God's plan of redemption is not for those who love Him, if you will, His friends, because there are none left to ourselves. The world is full of enemies who raise our fist against God in rebellion. The story of redemption is only fully understood, if you understand. The story is from a Father who loves even His enemies. Verse 
5, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food. There's no water here. We loathe this worthless food. We loathe your provision. We loathe you. Enemies. God has provided provision for his enemies. They reject his goodness. They believe the lie that he's not enough. They reject his rule and reign in their lives. And they raise a fist as enemies. And here's the application for you and me this morning. If we're going to understand the glories of redemption is that every single one of us before Jesus Christ were enemies of God. See, where do you get that from? Romans 5.10, Paul teaches that. We were there several months ago in Romans 5. Paul says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. God, the Father's love, extends even to those who were his enemies. And Nicodemus, as a Jew, doesn't quite understand that. He doesn't quite understand his own standing because he believes he's all right with God because of his Jewish heritage. But Jesus says, no, no, you don't even understand redemption until you understand you're an enemy of God because of your sin. Keep going. Big idea number two. The Father provides sacrifice for our, our sin. Now look back at the serpent on the pole, verse 7. It says, the people came to Moses and said, we've sinned. We've spoken against the Lord. We've spoken against you. Pray to the Lord. He'll take the servants from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The people realized something here, that this curse has left them hopeless to save themselves. You hear that? Part of Nicodemus having to understand redemption, part of us having to understand redemption, is that we are helpless to save ourselves. They're wandering around the camp trying to figure out how to cure this snake bite. And they realize there's no cure in and of myself. I have no hope to cure myself of the snake bite. That's a picture of the gospel message that we must have a Savior outside of ourselves because we're helpless to save ourselves. Jesus saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you got to get that. Hopeless to save ourselves. A solution from outside themselves had to be provided. Verse 8, the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole. Everyone who's bitten, when he sees it, he shall live. In other words, you have to introduce something to the people outside of themselves. Make this serpent, put it on a pole. Salvation does not come from themselves. Salvation does not come from within. Salvation does not come from our own efforts. It must be provided by one outside of us. The Father is the Redeemer. And the Father has provided a sacrifice for our sin. And thirdly, look at this really quick. I've always wondered why, if you're familiar with the story at all, you have to wrestle with some of the things of this story. Why did... Why did God tell Moses to make a serpent and put it on a pole? I, I mean, he could have said, okay, make a, make, a, make a lamb, right, and put it on a pole and raise it up. Or make a goat or something and put it on a pole. Why a serpent? Now watch this. This is critical and this is key. It is because the serpents had come into the camp because of the people's personal sin. Watch this. The serpent was to be a vivid image of their own personal sin. Hang with me. To look at the serpent on the pole was an acknowledgement that the serpent was hanging there because of their own sin. The solution demanded an honest acknowledgement of their own condition. 
In other words, they were to look at that serpent on that pole and they were to look with the eye of faith and in looking was to be a recognition. Watch this. That serpent is on that pole because of my sin. And Jesus, it's as if he's stressing this to Nicodemus, this ruler of Israel. Nicodemus, you're not going to understand what's going to happen in a few months when I, Jesus, go on the cross and die until you realize, Nicodemus, I'm going to be hanging on that cross for your personal sin and the sins of the world. Not just in generalities, your personal sin. So the point is, God the Father provides a sacrifice for our sin. They looked and it was a reminder, my sin is why this happened it was an acknowledgement it was a confession it was a step of repentance in this so we see that the father provides or he loves his enemies the father provides sacrifice for our sin and thirdly and quickly is this one the father gives the father gives eternal life to those who deserve eternal death. Now listen, I don't know how you read the story of the serpents here in, in Numbers 21. And again, you, you may have read it like we said earlier. Well, isn't that a little over the top? I mean, to send these serpents among the people, isn't that a bit much? I, I think God's going a little overboard. And what that is, is you're flipping it upside down and you're forgetting the perfect, glorious, beautiful holiness of God. And you're realizing these people have rejected Him. They've rejected His provision. They stand in rebellion. And the fact is, they justice in this story would be snake bit death because that's what they've deserved. Grace is I will step in and provide a solution for the condition you find yourself in. That's grace. And we see in verse 9, So Moses made a bronze serpent. He sets it on a pole. Now watch this really carefully. And if a serpent bit anyone, he or she would look at the bronze serpent and live. The word look is hugely important here. The word look is not a casual glance. You know, you're passing by and you go, yeah, I saw it. I'm moving on. No, no, the word look is not that. The word look here in the original language means it to consider, to pay close attention. It is to fix the gaze on something. And what you have here is a picture that those who realized their condition was death, they realized God had given a solution and they looked in repentance. The, my sin put it there, but God has provided a solution and they looked in faith and repentance and the Bible says those that did that lived they lived and Jesus says to Nicodemus just as Moses put the serpent on the pole so the son of man will be lifted up see that it's a beautiful picture of redemption here Beautiful picture of personal faith. Beautiful picture of repentance. Beautiful picture of God's provision. So now, real quickly, go back to John chapter 3. All right, let's go back into this conversation. We'll wrap it up this morning. So here's Jesus. Here's Nicodemus. Nicodemus is to be rolling all this stuff around in his head about this story, just like we just did. And Jesus comes back and he says, verse 14, 
as Moses. Nicodemus, by the way, I, I said earlier that unless you're born again, unless you're redeemed by the Spirit of God, unless you're made new by faith alone, you're not even going to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, I don't even understand that thing. Jesus says, the pictures throughout the Old Testament, then he comes to verse 14 and says, Nicodemus, for example, as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, Jesus speaking of himself. In verse 15 and 16, I want you to listen very carefully. In fact, I want everybody to really focus in on this for the next couple of minutes, and we're going to close in just a second. The, the team can come on up and just begin to play. This is not the end of the message, but I want you to just stay with me. So he says that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus. In the same way that God the Father provided the serpent on a pole to those that would look in faith and live, God ultimately has provided the solution for our sin. It's the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. And He says, and I'm standing before you right now. If you will believe, look and live. He says, He goes on, He says, verse 16. For God so loved the world, Nicodemus. God the Father is the Redeemer. He has a plan of redemption. That He gave His only Son. The Father provides a sacrifice for our sin. Just like God provided the serpent as a picture of the Son to come. It says, Nicodemus, the answer to what you look for is not found in your effort. It's not found in your good deeds. It's found in belief and trust and looking in faith to God's only provision, His Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. The very life of God. The very life of God in you. The very life that extends all the way to the kingdom. This new birth, this being born again that happens at the moment of faith and repentance. Looking to the Son, lifted up on the cross for your sin. Listen, not just the sins of the world, your sin. My sin. God the Father is the Redeemer. God the Father loves His enemies. He's provided the sacrifice for our sin and He gives life, eternal life, to those who deserve eternal death. I'm going to close with a quick story and then we're going to have a time of response. It's very important for us this morning. If you know anything about church history, you know that one of the great preachers in the past 200 years was a man named Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon, one of my heroes, man, nobody could preach like Spurgeon, but Spurgeon, Spurgeon was raised in a Christian home, Spurgeon heard the gospel his entire early life, Spurgeon rejected it, he did not believe until he was late in his teen years, and Charles Spurgeon in January, in the middle of a snowstorm in England, he tells his story, he says, I was just trying to go to a church somewhere, and the only church I could find was this little bitty church, and I went in, there was only like 12 people there, the, the pastor couldn't even get there, but this one man stood up, and this one man began to read Isaiah, and he read this. And Spurgeon, in his lostness, heard this man say this, Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me and be saved, 
all the ends of the earth. And that night Charles Spurgeon was born again by looking in faith to King Jesus. And later on he says, he says, That night when for the first time I received the gospel to my soul's salvation, I thought that maybe I'd never really heard it before. But he said, looking back, I'm inclined to believe that I had heard the gospel fully preached hundreds of times before. But that night the difference was the power of the Holy Spirit was present to open my ear, to guide the message to my heart. And I heard for the first time in my heart, look to me all the ends of the earth and be saved. And he said, I saw at once the way of salvation like as the bronze serpent was lifted up, the people only looked and were healed. He said, that night it was with me, and I looked in repentance and faith and was born again by the provision of God. Brothers and sisters, I want to ask you just to bow your head right there where you're seated this morning. And I, I want to be very clear with us. I, I think for many in this room, it's the time of response. I don't know what you brought in here this morning, and I don't know your background. I know so many folks are new in our church, and I want to ask you a few questions this morning based on what we've read and give you an opportunity to respond. Here's question number one. Not how long have you been in church. I don't want to hear about your upbringing. I don't hear. Have you been born again from above? Has there been a time in your life that you have looked in faith to Jesus and Jesus only as God's provision for your sin. True of you. This morning it can be you, sir, ma'am. Look to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth is the message to you. You may be here and you know you're born again and you know Christ, but the message for you this morning is, is there those in your life who you know, they play the game, but you know they've never been born again. Oh, your heart grieves and you pray for their salvation. I hope the encouragement of John 3 is don't quit and don't give up. Keep crying out on their behalf to the Lord. Take the message of the gospel. Stay after them in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't give up on Nicodemus. Don't give up on that family member or friend that doesn't know Christ. And this morning, if you are here and you've been born again and you know the King, pray that your response also this morning is just a, a song of worship. That you are overwhelmed by the Father's good love for you. He has provided everything for you. And let's praise Him for it this morning. And we stand and sing in just a second. If you're here and you need to speak with someone about anything we've talked about this morning, man, the, the Spirit of God is stirring in your heart this morning. And you believe today, I want to be born again today. When we stand and sing in just a minute, I'll invite you to slip out from your seat. Go to this back door at, out at area called The Hub. There'll be a team of people ready to meet with you even now as we sing. Pray with you. Answer your questions as we respond to the gospel this morning. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this message. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for Jesus and your provision of redemption in Christ. I pray for anyone here this morning who has never been born again from above, that today would be the day of salvation. We trust you in it, in Jesus' name.